We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. You could find this same uh, passage we're going to be reading in Matthew 7, where there's actually a more full uh, retelling of the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sayings and teachings and sermon that Jesus gives. And so in Luke 6, you find a, a condensed version of that written down. Um, but we're, we're going to be looking at something he says at the end of that. And so Jesus is teaching people that, hey, you've heard it said this before in the law. You've heard it said this in the scriptures, or you've heard it said this by your religious leaders, but I want to tell you it's something that goes much deeper than that, that we're not just looking at what you do or don't do on the surface level, but we're looking at what is going on within your very heart. And that's the main reason we've been going through the Psalms through this series that we're calling uh, Rest, Refresh, Renew, that it's it's resting in the truths of God. It's refreshing our souls and renewing our minds. But also, in a sense, we're doing a little bit of teaching today where we're, we're taking this opportunity to refresh our minds and, and renew ourselves on who we are as a church and some of the basics of what we believe. And so I think Jesus's words, who was highly, highly, highly um, formed by the Psalms, is a great way to do that. And so in Luke chapter 6, we're going to be reading starting in verse 43. Let me move over so you guys can see the screen here. And Jesus says this. He says, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. And on the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks, sorry, for, yeah, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I want to pause right there. I want to go on to look at some more things Jesus said. But first, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we were preaching through Psalm 1. I'm not going to reteach on Psalm 1 again, but I do want to read it because it's only six verses. And I want you to listen to Psalm 1 in light of what you just heard Jesus say. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Remember when we talked about in Psalm 1, it's painting this picture back to the beginning of the story in the garden of creation, that in the center, there are these two trees. And one is this tree of life. You eat from it, it leads to life. The other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And actually, a better translation for that, the Hebrew words tov and ra, is good and not good, or life-giving and not leading to life. Like the Proverbs talks about a raw tooth, and it, and it means not an evil tooth that's out to get you, but it means a tooth 
that is dying and it's not good, it does not lead to life. And so what we see in Psalm 1 is, is a symmetry of that. There's two ways to live. One is like a tree that is good and it's leading to life and it's producing fruit. And one is like a dead tree that turns into chaff and blows away. Let's read Jesus's words again. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. At our house, in our backyard, we have a couple trees. And I got in trouble for cutting this branch off this morning. My wife did tell me I could cut a branch off, but not one with a lot of potential fruit growing on it. And so that was my bad. Uh, but we, have, we planted two trees back there. One was a lime tree, and the other one, this one, was a lemon tree. They look like limes right now, but that's because I cut it off before they were good. So these are supposed to be lemons. Um, this is actually the, the most unhealthy-looking branch that I saw, in my humble opinion. So I, I cut it off there. But what if I decided I didn't want a lemon tree? Like, I, I, I would have preferred, actually, that the lime tree was healthy. Like, I could be drinking margaritas instead of lemonade. Or you could make really good guacamole or salsa. Like, there's so many things you could do with a good lime. And then there's lemonade. Lemonade's not bad either. I like lemonade. But what if I decided I, I didn't want this to be a lemon tree? Um, I do like oranges. And so what I'm going to do here is just, I brought some duct tape. And how do you know that? Let's see if I could do this. You are pretty smart. All right, I got. Now I have an orange tree, right? Is that an orange tree? Why not? It's got orange on it. I did tape it on there, but it's still on there. So what's going to happen to this orange? The orange is going to die? Why? It's not actually connected to... I actually... There's thorns on this. actually just pricked myself. A little blood there. It's not actually connected to the tree, right? So there's no nutrients coming out of it. And in fact, this branch is not connected to anything, and so it's going to die. Unless I tape it on to the tree later, then you won't be mad at me anymore, right? You just duct tape it back on? No, that doesn't work, right? In the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, pay attention to the fruit because the fruit tells you what the tree actually is. You can't just tie new fruit onto a tree and change what the tree is, right? I can't just go to my dead lime tree and tie some or tape some limes there that I bought from the store and go, hey, look, it's a good tree. It's still a dead tree. What we need to pay attention to is what's going on underneath. What's happening at the root? Yeah, the dead fruit's not good either. So let's continue what Jesus was saying in Luke 6, verse 46. He goes on and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house, but it couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. In a similar way, Jesus is saying, listen, don't just pay attention to the the building and and the framework up here that looks nice and maybe ornate, but what do you need to have a good solid house? Matt knows this, he's in construction. You need a good what, Sam? A good foundation, right? You gotta have a good, strong, sturdy foundation to build this house on top of. Just like a tree needs good, strong roots rooted in good soil and nourished well with water in order to produce good fruit. And so what I wanna do this morning is I want us to kind of take a step back from what we would typically do. And I want us to just start at the foundation. We're gonna lay some groundwork here, okay? Let's look at the foundation. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that if you're in a DNA group, which is a group of typically about three guys or three gals who get together, share what's going on in life, study scripture together, pray with one another, encourage one another. We have given this as a tool, as a resource to people in DNA groups to say, hey, this is a great way. The big word for this, if, if you've ever like, gone to seminary or anything like that, is a hermeneutic. And that just means a way that you are studying and understanding the scripture. A good way to do that is to go through four questions. So earlier on in our series, we talked about four eternal truths about who God is, which we found in Psalm 145. God is good, great, glorious, and gracious. These are truths about God that have always and will always be true. And now we want to talk about four essential questions that we ask ourselves. And so here's the four questions. Simply starts with, number one, who is God? Second question is, what has he done? Yeah, we're going to get to some of that. Next, third question, who are we? And then finally, we get to this fourth question, how can we now live? The order of that is super important because here's what we always tend to do as humans is we start reading scripture and we go straight to question number four. What is this telling me to do? How am I supposed to live my life? What's the instruction for me, right? And certainly, Scripture is giving us instruction. Like we read that in the psalm. It's meditating on God's word and listening to his instruction, right? But if we start there, if we start with just what do I do, we're trying to just tie fruit, good fruit, onto a dead tree. We're trying to build this nice bathroom onto a house, and there's no foundation there, and it's just going to crumble. So we start at the foundation. We start at the beginning. Who is this book about? Who's it about? Yeah, it's about Jesus and his father and his spirit, right? It's about God. So we don't start with just our behavior. We don't start with just our actions and go, well, I know how to do the right thing and say the right thing in front of people. So instead, starting at the base, at the foundation, at the root, who is this book about? It's about God. What is the story? It's the true story of the whole world that you and I live in. And we get to be a part in that story, but we're just a part. We are not the main character. So we start with that question, who is God? 
And we can answer that a lot of different ways when we come to scripture. Like we talked about Psalm 145, God is good. He is great. He is gracious. He is glorious. There's all kinds of truths about that that will start to tell us about who we are and how we live, right? Or you can look at specifically like who is God? Well, he's the father, the son, Jesus, and his Holy Spirit, right? And we can look at that and we could find things that God has done that has determined who we are and how we now live. So there's lots of ways to look at that. And when you're studying the Bible, at any point in scripture, you can ask that question. What is this verse saying about who God is? So that's a great tool to use, but here's, I wanna do something a little different this morning. It's a great hermeneutic tool for you to study scripture, but what typically happens is things like 2020 come along and then life is just crazy. And we've done our time studying the Bible with those four questions, but we aren't actually living out the implications of it. Because what happens is something crazy comes along and then we start reacting to that. We start responding to that. And then we start looking to like people around us and social media and news outlets and things around us and going like, all right, what's our response to this? What should it be? And we're starting with what do we do about this, right? And we're starting in the wrong spot again. Instead of backing up and going, hold on, in this particular case, in this circumstance and what's going on in the world right now, who do we know God is? What do we know is true about him and what he's done? So that first question, who is God? We're looking at his nature, his character, his personality. What is God like? And then we move to that next question. We go, what has God done? How do we know God is like this? It's because he proves it in what he does. So kids, like, what does a dog do? Just tell me some things a dog does. Go ahead and say it. Pants. <laughs> yeah, not pants like these, right? But like, yeah, pants. Barks. Can you give me a bark? That was a pretty good one, yeah. Go ahead. Lays on the ground. <laughs> in the middle of the night? Yes. Yes, that's totally happened to me before with Millie. Laying on the ground in the hallway in the middle of the night and you trip over the dog. That's something dogs do. Go ahead, Avery. Howl? Yeah, some dogs howl for sure. Yeah. How do you, how do you know dogs do these things? How'd you know to answer that way? Because you have one? Because you've seen it, yeah? Yeah, because God helps us to know things. He's given us a brain and senses and we could observe and we see it and we know that's just what dogs do, right? Well, in the same way, God being who he is is going to act out of who he is. Why does he do the things he does? Because he's God, because he is who he is. That's the answer that when Moses is like, hey, what's your name? And he goes, I am who I am. I've always been. My character, my nature, who I am will never change, and I will always act out of that. You see, no other creature has a problem with that either. Dogs do what dogs do. If I started barking, would that make me a dog? No, it would make me insane, right? But I don't look, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I've heard otherwise before, but thanks for saying I don't look like a dog. That wouldn't make me a dog, but a dog... His barking doesn't make it a dog, but that's what it does because it is a dog, right? Every other created thing does what it is supposed to do out of who it is. 
We, as humans, are the only creatures who fight against that, who struggle against doing things out of who we are because we're constantly fighting and contending to be something we're not. And that's the story all the way back in the garden, remember, with the two trees. It was eat from this tree and trust that God is God, he's in charge, he's in control, and he can tell you who you are and how to live your life. And he could tell you what's right and what's not right. Or eat from this other tree and you can be God over your own life. You can decide for yourself. Humans are the only ones out of our rebellion who struggle with doing what we are. But other creatures don't have a problem with this, and especially God himself, the creator, has no problem with this. Every action he does comes out of who he is. And God's people would always remind themselves, what has God done? Remember, all throughout the Psalms, we've seen this. What has God done? They would look back to, well, God saved us out of Egypt. What has God done? God provided a king even when we were rebelling and we said we didn't want him as a king. He still gave us a good king in David, right? Even when David messed up, what has God done? He has not left his people. He continues to pursue us and love us. What has God done? They were always looking back and that would remind them who God is, that he's the God who sees them, who hears them, who knows them, who loves them, who pursues them. And so we, we move forward out of that and then we ask this question, Now, who are we in light of that? Now, here's something that's amazing is you and I, we have this ability now to look back specifically at what God has done through Jesus, the Christ, the king of the whole world. Because scripture tells us that Jesus is actually the full representation of God. He is the full image of God, the fullness of God dwelling in man, visible to the world. And so when we want to look at what is God like and what has he done, we can look no other place but Jesus. And so Israel would go, what has God done? And they could see how he's rescued them out of Egypt. But we could go, what has God done? And we look at Jesus and what has God done, you guys? Go ahead, just say some things, kids, adults, anyone. What has God done through Jesus, Lily? What's that? Oh, he's given your family a baby brother? That's awesome. That's super cool. Exciting, yeah, he's bringing life. What else? What has Jesus specifically done in our lives or in history? Yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. He's taking care of us and even some businesses and things like that, even in the midst of coronavirus. This is why we share evidences of grace. Look what God has done, like we sang this morning. Avery, he gave you a family, yeah. And you know what? Even how amazing that is, even bigger than that, than giving you a family and your brothers and sisters and in your mom and dad, he has brought you into his own family through Jesus. Jesus, being the only true son of God, left his home with the father, came and he came to seek out all of us and bring us back into the family of God to adopt us in as brothers and sisters. He took on the penalty of death that we owed for our rebellion against God. He filled his church with his Holy Spirit so that we could know him, so that we could live in light of his truth and in his power. 
Jesus has done so much. And so we look at that and we go, what is our identity based on what God has done through Jesus? We, don't, we no longer have to define our identity, who we are, based on what we do. And that's still the temptation of today. It wasn't just what happened in the garden. It's still today is trying to make a name for yourself, right? Trying to look a certain way in front of people so that they would see you are a good, whatever your occupation is or whatever your role is in your family, right? A father, yeah. We were joking the other day like about pastors writing books. And it was like, well, if you wanna, if you wanna be, make a name for yourself as a pastor, you gotta write a book, right? And we're, I was laughing at that because I'm like, just that idea, make a name for yourself as a pastor. Like, no, the whole point is to make Jesus' name great, right? And that's the whole point of all of our lives. You remember in the Tower of Babel, what, what did it say they were trying to do to build a tower up to heaven for what reason? To make a name for themselves. To build their identity, who they are, based off of what they had accomplished. And God goes, no, I'm shutting that down. And he confuses them. They start speaking different languages and he scatters them. Because our identity is not built on what we do. It's built on what Christ has done for us. God is the only being who has an identity that's not dependent on what others do because he's creator. So he has an identity. You can start with that question, who is God? But we can't start with who are we because we're creatures. That means we were created by the creator. So our identity has to come from who the creator is first. And then we can finally get into, what do we do because of that? Now, how, how are we free to live because of this identity we have? And we're gonna talk more about those last two questions in a few weeks, about who we are, our identity, and who God is, and how do we live that out, which we call the blessed rhythms, everyday rhythms of life everyone does, but doing it with intentionality to show the good news of Christ and his kingdom and a new identity that we have. But that's in a couple weeks. Right now, I would love to read a children's story to you guys. Is that okay? This is a children's story about a bunny. Do you guys like bunnies? All right, good. The bunny rabbit was once captivated. That means he was like consumed with the idea of flight. He saw the birds glide freely through the clouds, seemingly able to perch on the sun, at least from his perspective. He heard the empowering advice of the slithering sage say, you can be and do whatever you want if you want it enough. And at the same time, he was encouraged by his own ability to leap with great height off the ground, and yet confined by the inevitable might of gravity, which would what? Pull him right back down. He would jump just high enough to give him hope that the words were true. You can be and do whatever you want if you want it enough. Reach for the sun, soar among the clouds, for you too can take flight with the winged creatures. And this was his prison. He would leap day and night with all his might and feel the exhilaration of the wind beneath his feet, only to feel the despair of being pulled back down to the ground. Then he would think just a little higher. Maybe this next time. Maybe if I work harder. But every time he would get pulled back down by some unseen force. One day the owl saw the rabbit. You do not look very happy at all, said the owl. Of course I'm not, said the rabbit. 
I'm doing all that I can, and yet I'll never be like you or the birds. I just can't seem to reach my potential to fly. You poor thing, replied the owl. Don't you see? You are not miserable because you are not a good you, but because you do not know who you are. Who told you that you were meant to fly anyway? I see the birds do it, and I could almost reach them. The slithering one, he told me that I was close, and I only needed to try a little harder. Ah, said the wise owl. That old snake is jealous because he can neither fly nor run. But he knows if he gets you distracted trying to fly all day long, he will be able to sneak up on you and devour you. You, my dear rabbit, are meant to run. Well, the rabbit thought about what the owl said, and the more he thought, the more he realized the owl was right. The less the rabbit tried to fly, the more grateful he was for how high he could hop. And not only that, but he learned how fast he was on the ground. He could certainly outrun the serpent. And when the rabbit would run as he was meant to, he kept the pace for all the other creatures in the forest to follow. Question, Eileen? Yeah, it did sound a lot like the story with the first two humans, didn't it? And the serpent in the garden, and there was a lie that was spoken, right? You could be something that you weren't supposed to be. Maybe you could take the place of God. And it's in the rabbit trying so hard to be something he's not, to be a creature that can fly, where he ends up being miserable. And he ends up being open and vulnerable to the enemy coming and attacking him. You know, it's the same for us humans. It's when we are trying to be something we are not, trying to be in the place of God, king over our own lives, we just end up being miserable because we can never live up to that. And we will always mess it up. But there's freedom in recognizing, wait, 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 I'm a, I'm a different creature. I'm not the creator. I'm a created being. I'm not God. I'm a human. And yes, I get this wonderful, beautiful opportunity to show the rest of creation what God is like because God made me in his image. I'm like a mirror held up to the rest of the world to show, look, this is what God is like, our creator. How good is he? but I'm not supposed to be him. And when we start living in that truth that our identity comes from who he is first, there's so much more freedom and joy in that. Let's go back to those two trees real quick. I told you I had two in my backyard, one that died, one that flourished and looked beautiful. Let's put a picture of two trees on our screen here. So you got... This tree over here on our left, which is dead, it's dying. There's no leaves on it. There's no life. There might be some bad fruit growing there. And then you got this tree over here on our right with leaves, healthy fruit. And they're both experiencing the warmth and the light from the same sun. I planted these two trees in the same spot in our backyard. They got the same sunlight. We water them the same every day. What was different about them? Not in the exact same spot, yeah, but right next to each other, just like these two trees. There's something going on down here at the roots that was a little different. And I'm not a good gardener, so I still don't understand what happened with those two trees. But I know for us, we got to pay attention to what's happening at the root here because that 
is the question that we start with. Who is God? And let that nourish our roots. When we ask that question, who is God? That starts to nourish us. And then we're reminded, what has God done for us, especially through Jesus? And then that starts to move into and form who we are. We can get to that third question finally. Who are we because of that? You know, Jesus said one time, I'm the vine, you're the branches. So it's like Jesus is this trunk of the tree and we're the branches sprouting out because our identity is tied to him. Not in the way I, I tied that fruit on with duct tape, but like literally just rooted in him, connected to him. And then we start to see good fruit flow out of that. That fruit is, how can we now live because of who we are in Jesus? But when we, when we start backwards, we start with asking the first question, what do I do about this? Sometimes we let that start to define our identity. Like if I, if, if I fail on my test all the time, right, for a student, well, I start to think I'm a failure. And we make that our identity here. And then what do we do with that? If we really, if we really explore what's going on underneath in our heart, we're starting to let that define what God has done. Well, God didn't make me very smart. Well, God hasn't really helped me out in this circumstance I've been trying, but he's, he's not doing his part. Maybe God is disappointed with me. Maybe he's abandoned me. And so who is God? He's not around. He's absent. And you see what I just did there is I, based off of my actions, I've identified now who God is. So I flipped it. Instead of God, who he is, defining who I am, I've made myself in the place of God. I've let my actions, my thoughts, my feelings identify who God is. That's so backwards. But if we can flip that around, and if we could start to see there's a greater truth going on here, and we could start to nourish our roots with the living water, the truth of who God is, then that will begin to form in us and produce good fruit. Does that make sense? So here's what I would like to do now is I would like to give us some real world examples of this. How do we do this in real everyday situations? Where'd my Bible go? Here we go. Because we can know that truth all day long. We could do it when we're studying the Bible. We can ask those questions in the right order and go, okay, I know this is the steps that Chris told me to take to go through. And then life happens and we just get reactive then. We just start reacting and we start looking at what do we do in the situation and we don't stop to remind ourselves who God is in that situation. So I wanna take even some controversial, some real life situations, circumstances we're all facing right now. What do we do in situations like the coronavirus with the pandemic and you got two different voices going on of like, hey, you need to wear masks and you need to stay home as much as you can. And then you got another voice going, no, 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 you, this is silly, blah, blah, blah. Just do whatever you want, right? Before I go through that, I want to just read, there's this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, the devil always sends errors into the world in pairs. They're pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking, which is worse? You see why, of course. He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. And aren't we seeing that a lot in our world right now? that there's two different arguments and sides and extremes happening. And he's going to rely on your dislike of one side to draw you into the other area. And I wanna say this, the gospel, the good news of Jesus being king is not a happy medium. 
It's another extreme. It's a completely different way of living. And if we could remind ourselves the truth of who God is and what he's done for us, we're invited to live in that story and it will look radically different to the world around us. So let's do that with a, with a coronavirus and a pandemic. We got a slide up here for sickness, pandemic, and let's start with who is God in this situation? Now, you, this could be answered a number of different ways. There's lots of truths about who God is and what he's done. And so you could come out with something completely different. This is just one example where we're scratching the surface of how this looks. And the other thing I wanna say is we could end on this. How do we now live because of this? With practically different looking things. And that's okay. But what I want us to start doing as a church, as a family, is asking each other, how did you get here based on what Christ has done for you? Because did you just get here because this is what Fox or CNN said or what you saw on social media? Or did you just get here because this is the most comfortable for you, right? Or did you get here based on what you see Christ doing for you? And if we can have those conversations, we will be a much healthier body of believers. So an example is God is the healer. He's the great physician. What has he done? He entered into our sickness, just like any good doctor or nurse or medical professional. They aren't absent from it, but they actually go to the unhealthy patient, right? Risking themselves a little bit. Jesus entered into our broken world and into the sickness and he touched lepers and he healed the sick and he was there among them. He raised the dead to life and he took on our curse. Can we go to that scripture, Patrick, real quick, that I have there next? And we'll jump back to this in a second. But in Psalm 103, which we read this morning, verse three says, he forgives all our iniquity. He heals all our diseases. How does he do that? Remember, what has he done through Christ? The next scripture. In Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul wrote, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it's written, cursed is anyone hung on a tree. And then if we keep moving forward in Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, Peter wrote, he himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus entered into the curse of sickness and death that we brought on by our rebellion of trying to be God in his place. And because he did that, he not only entered into the curse, he overcame it. He was victorious over it. And he rose again out of the grave. And because of that, we now can be healed by him. And so let's look at who are we now? Well, we were once sick in our sin. Don't forget that. That was your identity. But what has God done for us in Christ? Now we are healed by Christ and we are people of a promise. So what do we do? We recognize the reality of today's brokenness while pointing people toward the promise of resurrected bodies to come. Catch that. We're not just dismissing that there's a real virus out there. And as Anthony shared with one of his students, like it's it's dangerous. We're not dismissing that we still live in a broken world. But we're also not holding on to this hope of humanism, that if we just do the right things, we can overcome this. No, we're holding on to a greater hope that Jesus is the healer and he will one day bring full restoration, whether or not we ever get away from wearing masks. 
And if I look at Jesus and I see that Jesus was willing to come down into our shame and he was stripped naked and beaten and took our pain and our place, then I go, can I put a piece of cloth over my face in front of people? Can I serve people the way that he served? But I want you to hear, it's not giving in to one extreme or the other. It's a whole different extreme. It's loving people in that way, but also saying, this is not my hope. Because there's been a lot of different information going on about it. And tomorrow we could find out masks do nothing, right? Like it's constantly changing. But I'm gonna go, I'm wearing this because I love people and I'm serving people. This is not my hope though. My hope is that Jesus will return and restore all things. Let's try another one, more controversial, because another thing we're hearing a lot in this day and age is division, racism, all kinds of disunity happening. And so let's look at that in light of these four questions. Who is God? He's creator. He's creator of all things. And he made a diverse existence with all kinds of different creatures. And even in humans, he made them different and distinct from each other. He created a beautiful diversity. And not only that, because do you know what happened when we rebelled against him is we set up this wall. Adam and Eve had this wall between them now. They were ashamed to be seen fully in front of each other. They ran and hid from God. But Jesus has broken down that hostility wall for us. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. I think it's verse 14, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups. This is talking to Jewish people who were chosen by God to bless other nations, but they left that part out. And Samaritans and Gentiles and other people who were not part of that promise. He says, you made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressing regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two. You hear that unity? Resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Do you hear what your identity was before Jesus' work? But you're no longer that, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Can we go back to that grid real quick, Patrick? Patrick, thanks for all the work you do. <laughs> I'm having him jump all over the place. Who are we? We were once strangers, aliens to God. We were once divided, but now we are united citizens of his kingdom, children of our father, brothers and sisters with one another, the dwelling place of Christ and his spirit. How do we live? We move toward those who are different from us, seeking to understand and love. There's a lot of politics going on around this issue. There's a lot of questioning of if if this is even something that exists. And I want to say whether or not you believe it exists, whatever you think of the history of this nation, you are a citizen of the kingdom. And what you have a role to do is not to go, let me argue with you and tell you that you're wrong and why I'm right and give you a history lesson or a politic lesson, but instead to go, I don't understand where you're coming from, but I will move toward you in love and I will seek to understand you. 
and I can love you, and we can have conversation. You see how that's radically different than the two extremes our world is in right now? I want to give you one final one. We'll end this way. Because some of you are just, again, we've said this before, like we're so tired of hearing about both those things. And we're just, it's feeling like a crushing weight on us. And we're feeling anxiety about it. I don't think there's anyone in here who's immune to anxiety, to feeling overwhelmed by what's going on in our world or what's going on in your own life. And so how do we deal with that? Who is God in our anxiety? God is the sovereign. That means he's in control of all things. Provider. He provides for us. Jesus is the prince of peace. What has he done? Jesus entered into the brokenness of our anxiety, bringing peace and conquering the world. Do you know that the same Jesus, and listen, I know there's, there's chemical, there's biological stuff going on in our broken world, all right? And so I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad about that, but I'm talking about when Jesus says, hey, don't be anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow because you know how God takes care of the birds, takes care of the flowers? He'll take care of you. But that same Jesus who said those words, the night that he was in the garden amongst the trees, about to be betrayed and going to his death, he was so anxious that he sweat blood. Jesus never sinned, but he entered into our anxiety. He did not want to do it, and yet he still submitted it. The way we see in the Psalms all the time, God, I, I don't understand what you're doing or where you're at, but I will come to you with it, with my concerns. And Jesus said, I don't want to do this, but I'm coming to you, Father, and I'm laying it down before you. And because of that, he was able to overcome and have victory. Let's look at those scriptures real quick. John 16, I have told you these things. This is Jesus telling his disciples he's coming back so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. No getting around it. Be courageous. Jesus says, I have conquered the world. We go on to Romans. We find out that because of Jesus conquering, we too get to be conquerors. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or politics or virus? As it is written, and he quotes from the Psalms, God's people going, God, what's going on? They said, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But then Paul says, no. In all of these things, even in all these terrible things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, or things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who are we in light of this? We're courageous, people of a promise, people of peace. We're more than conquerors. We take our fears and our anxieties to the Lord, and we point ourselves and others to the hope These are three different examples of how we can speak the truth of the gospel, which means good news, to different areas of bad news that we're facing in our world today. And I just scratched the surface, and you can hopefully go much deeper in those beautiful truths if you take the time. 
But I wanted us to see a glimpse of that, that the gospel is not just this message of something that happened thousands of years ago that has no implications for us today, but it is good news specifically to the bad news you are experiencing. And when we have people in our lives who are going through a hard time, the tendency is we want to give them good advice. Just do this, right? We're starting backwards with that fourth question. But let's give good news. Who is God in light of this situation? If we can learn how to speak that truth to one another and to ourselves, we will experience so much more joy and hope and peace and glory in Christ.